So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1382, financial expert Georgia Lee Hussey on the true meaning of wealth and what it means to have enough. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. There is a base level of stability we all deserve and need in our financial lives, like the ability to go to the doctor, the ability to make sure your kids are going to be okay, the ability to have a roof over your head and be fed. There are these core needs we have. But above that need, there is a sense of dissatisfaction in people that I know who make piles of money but don't have strong relationships, don't have any free time, um, who uh, may have capped out or like tapped out their sense of mastery in their own field and are now hungry for a new way to grow. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Fun story. I was in an elevator this week heading to see my doctor, which by the way, I have not seen a primary care doctor in a long time that is like my designated primary care doctor because life happens. Of course, I go to urgent care and of course I see like my gynecologist and the dermatologist and what have you, but I had never really had a designated primary care physician. Like, you know, you have your pediatrician when you're a kid and you're supposed to have someone like that when you're an adult. I just never figured that out or got that all figured out. Finally got it done going in for some blood work this week. And I'm in the elevator wearing my mask because the facility requires a mask. How do we get to this story? Well, this all has a point. Wearing my mask, I'm in the elevator with two other women who are not wearing their masks, but they're putting their sweaters up to their noses and their mouths as a courtesy, I guess. And I just said to everybody in the elevator, I don't have COVID. I'm not here for COVID's reasons. So just to, you know, relax. And then I laughed and I said, oh, we just, you know, we didn't want you to feel uncomfortable. It was a really nice exchange. And as we're talking, one of the women says to me, your voice sounds familiar, <laughs> which nobody's ever said to me, believe it or not, I guess I should, I don't know if I should be surprised. And I said, well, I have a podcast and I just kind of put that out there because I thought, well, if the if she knows my voice, maybe, maybe she listens. She immediately said, Farnoosh, so money. Let me tell you, highlight of my week. Nice little surprise going in to get blood drawn. That was sort of a nice balance, right? Good news, bad news. I'm going to tell you all who she was and is because she's a fellow podcaster and she's the host of Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Kate Donovan. And she's been listening to So Money. I immediately subscribed to her podcast. She's been listening to So Money for years and said it helped her get through a lot and that she, I'm quote, changing women's lives, which I thought was an overstatement, but I will take the compliment, especially if I'm at the doctor's office and not feeling great about being there. Kate, it was a pleasure getting to know you. I told her, let's do a podcast swap. So if you're listening to the show, let this be a reminder that I want to get back in touch and, and do what we promised we would do. That story has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but I just thought it was interesting and you might enjoy it. Today, we're going to talk about the true meaning of wealth in 30 minutes. I know it's a lot, but I thought who best to come on to walk us through some of these insights 
And Revelations is Georgia Lee Hussey. She's a friend of So Money, been on the show probably more than anybody else. She often appears on our Friday episodes, helping us work through their our audience questions. She is the co-founder of Modernist Financial in Portland, Oregon, certified financial planner. And she and I were having lunch actually when she was visiting New York earlier this summer. We got to talking about money, our favorite topic. And she explained that she's been working on this thesis about the the real meaning of wealth and and how it's more than money. And she's learned this a lot through her client work. And she's got a really interesting philosophy around the various pillars that contribute to what wealth ultimately is for people. Things like time, relationships, mastery. We look closely at all of these things. And I think it's an important conversation as we are all trying to make the most of the times. Without further ado, here's... Georgia Lee Hussey. Georgia Lee Hussey, welcome back to So Money. It's a delight to be here as always. Normally we have you on to help me guide the money questions, the mailbag. Always love your insights, helping our listeners with their audience questions. But I wanted to put the spotlight more on you this time and, and really share what I think is a really unique take on financial planning and thinking about our money that you practice with your clients um, at Modernist Financial in Oregon. But can you walk us through first this thesis of yours, which I love. We had a conversation over lunch and I thought this has to be on so money that you have a unique way of defining wealth. And Mm -hmm. I want to just give you the floor to to, to share that with us and then we'll go through it deeply. Yeah. So I... I think ever since I started in um, my career as a certified financial planner, I've struggled to speak to the breadth of decisions that we make that often get tied to money. They become ostensibly a financial decision, but in reality, they're decisions that touch our lives in a, in a, a wide variety of ways. And what has developed over over the practice is built on other people's good work and research, including um, the crew at Money Quotient that does a lot of the infrastructure of our work with clients. But this idea as wealth is actually money is only one aspect of wealth. And rather, there are I'm positing there's potentially four additional. I, it's a little bit in development um, at the moment, but that there are other elements of wealth that we should really be looking at when we think of our wealth balance sheet or our, our net worth. Mm-hmm. And so those are time, which I think any of us who's who are beyond our mid twenties <laughs> can realize the sense of the um, the sacredness and, and um, limited quality of time. Uh, their skills or mastery, which I believe is a huge um, element of our satisfaction and well being in the world, is the sense of improving and becoming better at that which we do. Um, relationships. Certainly, the pandemic has made that even more clear. Although it's, I think, it's always been essential. Um, and then I'm also really interested in the idea of health or well-being or um, energy. I mean, I think as a middle, early middle-aged woman, I often think about, oh, I just don't have a lot of energy today to go do this thing that seems important to me at this mm-hmm. moment. And so uh, this is this is where I have been talking a lot with clients, especially in the pandemic and post-pandemic of us or whatever we're in right now of how do we make decisions about where we want to go when we're in this basically unsettled place right 
And so this seems to be a very helpful way to, to frame the conversation. You want to make this money decision, but what does it mean for time? What does it mm-hmm. mean for your relationships? What does it mean for your sense of mastery? What does it mean for your um, well-being? Um, these are the, the questions that we've been digging into a little more deeply. You talk about unsettling times. I mean, there's the pandemic, and then there's also this potential recession. Many of us are already feeling the pain, whether it's you've gotten recently laid off or you're dealing with these exorbitant prices because you drive to work. And so you're really feeling the pain of fuel prices. You're really feeling the pain of food prices because you feed a family. And I love this equation or this um, this model that you present because it reminds us that not only that you know our financial decisions impact more than just our financial life, but that mm-hmm. we have more than money to account for uh, as we think about what are our riches. Yes, you know, yes. Uh, we have resources beyond dollars and cents, which if you're looking at your 401k right now, you're looking at your salary against uh, li- rising living costs, you're... You may feel you have less than you did last year, which may be financially true, but let's also consider your health. Let's consider your relationships. Let's consider your mastery, your time as assets that are just as important. Right. I also think this this breadth of perspective speaks to a... um, hunch a lot of us have that wealthy people are actually not that happy. And that can be true or cannot be true. I think that's also a money story. But my um, supposition here is that there is a base level of stability we all deserve and need in our financial lives, like the ability to go to the doctor, the ability to make sure your kids are going to be okay, the ability to have a roof over your head and be fed. There are these core needs we have. But above that need, uh, there is a oh, there is a sense of dissatisfaction in people that I know who make piles of money but don't have strong relationships, don't have any free time, um, who uh, may have capped out or like tapped out their sense of mastery in their own field and are now hungry for a new way to grow. Um, and I think it also allows us to just take the focus off of acquiring more dollars as an indicator of Mm -hmm. success um, Mm -hmm. and satisfaction. So I think that's also plays into this as well. Well, I'd love to stop and go through that exercise too of enoughness, which is Mm -hmm. something that you have spent a lot of time thinking about. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, there are articles on this. I was actually interviewed for Fortune about, you know, what does enough mean? Mm -hmm. And it's so personal, but I do think it, it requires some thinking as we all look at, creating a financial life that is sustainable Mm. and one that also touches on all of these other important pillars, time, relationship. Because when you, when you hear someone say, I'm not happy, but I have all this money. Yeah. um, Maybe they haven't done the good work of really thinking about, well, what are they chasing and why are they chasing that money? Yes. Yes. That's well, well said. I, I think the question of enough is incredibly individual. And that is one of the first um, complications of the question, right? It is not something you can ask somebody else, which it would be really nice. <laughs> somebody else could just tell you the answer. Um, for me, I have had the most success in defining enough for myself when I start by defining um, plenty. And I really come back to this sort of the idea of a net worth statement that lists out all the things you have in these categories, not just not just the dollars that you have. That um, 
in that space, I am reminded of just the wealth of, of, of people in my life, the care that I receive, and also the ways in which I have been the person who has worked for those things, who has built community and family. Um, I think that's important. Um, so I might ask you the same question, like how has the idea of enough like bounced around in your life in the past couple mm. of years? Sometimes I say, before you think about the money, think about what your goals are. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that can help to guide your calculation of what is enough. But I I do think it's so personal because it's, again, it goes back to how much of your self-worth you associate with your quote unquote net worth. And I'm not saying that that is a healthy exercise or a healthy calculation, but nevertheless, it is what drives some people further than others. Mm -hmm. I also think that the idea of enoughness is not finite. It's not one and done. Like as your life evolves and grows and contracts and progresses. And, Mm. you know, I think that, that you should give yourself the opportunity to always revisit this. Mm. Um, Because for me in my personal life, I felt like I reached a point of content and enoughness in my thirties in my mid thirties. I think I had one child um, Mm -hmm. breadwinner felt Mm -hmm. very fulfilled financially and and in many ways. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with a wealth coach um, for an article. It wasn't personal, but it was more for, uh, to give advice for readers. And, and, but through that conversation, we ended up talking about me and uh, it was Barbara Stanny actually, Mm -hmm. uh, who I think goes by a different last name now, but Barbara Stanny at the time, she's written many, many books for women about how to build wealth. And Mm -hmm. I think she was frustrated in my sense of contentness and she oh, wanted because, you know, she's out there like you have to advocate for women and yeah. you need to always be pushing boundaries and she said to me why do you feel like you've reached enoughness mm. and I said well mm. I feel like I'm taking care of what I need mm-hmm. and she said yeah but have you ever thought that maybe be, you being wealthy could help make the world a better place too that mm-hmm. not just your personal life world yeah. but mm-hmm. that, like there's a bigger world out there and more money means you can give back more. You, If that's important to you, you know, yeah. I'm not saying you have to, but if that's right, important right. to you, like reminding me that your buck doesn't always just stop with you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it did inspire me to think bigger and not just like, how can I make more money? Because yeah. in my mind, I, to be honest, I, I didn't want to work more hours. Exactly. <laughs> so I thought to myself, how can I work smarter? How can mm-hmm. I maybe increase my rates or come up with new projects that I don't find to be as difficult, but is leveraging my mastery to bring in more money. And I I thought about it very strategically and it took a couple of years, but I did end up making more in a way that really felt aligned again with Mm. what I defined as fulfillment. And so part, I think to answer part of your question too, it's not just like, what are your goals, but what actually defines fulfillment for you? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful um, reflection. What I what I find interesting about her question is I would ask her like how so then what Barbara what is enough money for women to be making is there is there enough in because I think there is a model especially for those of us who are in the minority that we literally can never do enough mm-hmm. we we can never rest we have to struggle on all the time and there there is a sort of a small story of that in in that question I think. The question, though, of how to work more efficiently to um, earn 
the money, I mean, certainly the the goal is that any person who is a non-dominant culture person in their industry, I hope we can get to a place where you're making as much as your um, as your dominant culture um, colleagues. And I think there's an interesting question here that I see a lot with folks as they transition in life is, what if the answer isn't money? What if the answer is time? What if yeah. the answer is investing in mastery? What if the answer is mm-hmm. investing in relationships? I think this is especially true in people who um, who are retiring. You know, a lot of people can be over identified with their career, and then when they go to retire, uh, it feels very discomforting because their their identity, their self worth, is totally tied to that paycheck, and the. Um, I think there's an opportunity to see ourselves, as you're saying, as a broader, as broader selves. Um, I think for me also, like I come from a place where I did not grow up with a lot of money. I was really um, scrappy as a kid and as a young person, Um, you know, full scholarships. And um, I had a job starting at 14. Everybody I knew had a job starting at 14. I mean, that was just normal. And that is another place where I go to for enoughness is the reminder that I have lived on a whole lot less and been very happy and mm-hmm. very satisfied. And I think that's a someplace the, the enough question is really helpful, especially around money, because I can think if I charted my net worth in these various areas across different phases of my life, I would have, when I was a person in my young 20, in my early 20s, making art and so on, I had tons of time an amazing amount of time, an amazing number of resources or relationships and mastery. I had no money. <laughs> yeah. And that that also, I think, lets us rely on our previous selves, self-efficacy, to remember that we could do it without all of the stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It seems also important in the ongoing calculations. I mean, we could talk about this for so much longer and and we will. We will talk about this for a little bit longer because I think it's so important. But you said, you know, how much money is enough for women? Mm. And I think that that's not to say that all women, we're not looking at women as like a monolith, like all right. women should make this, this should be enough for you. Bye. Because um, we have so many other variables, right? Whether we're like, if I'm a black woman mm-hmm. um, who is a descendant of slavery, yeah. you know, that my, what I should we're talking about equity, right, Georgia? Like yeah. that person, I would think, deserves or should have more mm. than somebody who was raised with a silver spoon and didn't have to deal with things like racism and all that comes with it, all that baggage. Um, right. Because if we're thinking about building an equitable world, some individuals to be to keep it equitable do need to play catch up, and they should right. be not just maybe striving for more, but should give them more. Yes. Well, and I think also this relates to the sense of how much is enough money, right? If you come from a culture or a group of people who have been systematically disenfranchised from wealth building, your desire to build wealth is very different. It suits, it's it's seated somewhere um, more, well, it's it's seated in a very uh, essential element of your identity and culture, potentially. Um, I also think that um, this can let people who've come from means let go, mm-hmm. actually define enough and realize that, you know, the second house or the third car or the whatever it might be can be nice, but is not enough. It is plenty. 
And I think that is important for all of us. If I'm going to approach the world from a place of generosity, I have to know what's enough to be able to give away my time and my mastery and my money in a way that does support equity. Um, I think Mm -hmm. one of the biggest issues in equity is people like myself who have a lot of advantages who don't list those advantages in their net worth. Like the the understanding that I move into the world as a well-educated or, you know, East Coast educated white lady with certain class skills. And that is worth a lot in my life. And yeah. there is a, um, I, th- I think this kind of self-awareness and really celebration, discovery helps us move into generosity as well as every other kind of um, decision we make that has a financial tether. Well, let's go back to these pillars um, and maybe examine them a little more closely. Uh, so there's obviously money and we know we talked about the enoughness there and that calculus. Time, relationships, mastery, and then well-being. How does time play into or how should it factor into our financial decisions? How do we value? How should we v- be valuing our time differently? Yeah, I think that's... Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but my work life is extremely rigorous and scheduled. I'm basically scheduled from eight o'clock this morning till eight o'clock tonight. And that is, there's nothing like living into that work for several years to be like, oh, wow, not a lot of choice in this day. I get a lot, I get to do a lot of really cool things and have wonderful conversations and be around great people. But there is this sense to me of unstructured time. This is the one, this is what it means for me is the unstructured time that I have available to me is so incredibly valuable. I certainly found that, you know, and to connect two different areas in the pandemic, I was like, oh, unstructured time with the people I love is like winning the lottery. And, mm-hmm. and as you know, I was just back in New York. I got to see you, which was fabulous. And, and I also got to see a lot of other people and just being, with lunch with somebody or like going for a walk with one of my oldest friends through downtown Manhattan was just, I can't think of anything that felt more joyous and wealth building for me. So that's how I define time is how much unstructured time Mm -hmm. do I have and how am I using that time? Um, You know, I've heard of the idea of the attention economy, um, which I also think is an interesting layer of the time net, net worth statement is, is, when I have free time, what do I do with that free time? I think what I'm hearing too is just being appreciative of your time that uh, we all are given the same amount of time and how you are able to spend that time Mm -hmm. um, is relative and in some ways an advantage. Mm -hmm. Well, he has to work three jobs, right? (laughs) To to support a family. That is um, a more difficult, strenuous, you know, way to, to manage your time. Right. And when you look at a calendar for somebody who has to work three jobs, how much time can they devote to well-being, relationships, maybe mastery? But I'm guessing there's there's a, a sense of tiredness that is um, makes it harder to be, be your very best at the thing you're practicing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the the er text on this is your money or your life, the sort of classic uh, financial literacy um, text. It was in the late seventies that that um, book came out, and yes, and then um, it was revived in yes. uh, a few couple of years ago. I think yes, yes, 
it's a classic for a reason. And it asks mm-hmm. you to literally value your time. I do that in the company all the time where we we look at hiring a consultant or using software and we literally compare it to the cost of our time. And it's very interesting to see when it just really does make more sense to hire things out or get support. Yeah. Vicki Robin. Uh, she's yes. been on this podcast. She's the author of that book. And uh, it was re- relaunched a couple of years ago with some updated uh, advice. Mm. It's a classic. It's an international bestseller. You wanna, when you talk about mastery as part of this wealth calculus, I love that because at a time when we may be in a drop transition or we get laid off, mm-hmm. I know in, during the pandemic, there was this, there were these few months when many, I think we had 30% unemployment at one point in March, April. Can you believe it? And people were just beside themselves. And I would have to go on TV with like a silver lining and I said, <laughs> which is very difficult. And I'd say yeah. things like, which I believe, which is that you your job has been taken away from you, your your paycheck's been taken away from you. That's devastating. But let me yeah. remind us that we no one has taken away our skills, our mastery, our network, our yeah. our drive, who we are as empathetic yes. givers and people. You know, and so yeah. your mastery can come into in service in ways that you know are invaluable. Mm. Yes. And I, I think this is an interesting place to consider what are vocational, what's vocational mastery and what is avocational mastery. Like, what do I do because it earns me money and, and grows my, um, my, like, I want to be a master financial planner by the end of my career. You know, I think I'm on the path. And yet I know to be a master financial planner, that means that I need to be learning all the time and growing and pushing and, and, and taking on ever more complex problems. That is really important to me and my satisfaction in my life. And what are the other places that I'm building mastery that are, you know, I lift weights for, for my exercise. I really like being able to do a really heavy deadlift. It's awesome. (laughs) You know, it feels good in my body to build mastery in ways that are not just intellectual. So I think this mastery can be um, things that you get paid for and things you don't get paid for. And that, especially in American culture, which can have a sort of, oh, you're learning to sing. Are you going to be in a band and gig? And it's like, well, you can just learn to sing for the pleasure. And yeah. mastery can be like being a mediocre singer is fine because there's joy in the practice. Yeah. And that's what I really mean by mastery is these, this avocational and vocational approach to work. Yes. You know, I was thinking one day a few years back, I was really stressed uh, over a work uh, a work project. And um, I remember really pausing Georgia and thinking to myself, I am so grateful that I have my mental health. Mm. You know, I'm stressed. I recognize I'm stressed, but I am working through it. And I am trying to use my emotional intelligence to get me through what I need to get through so that I don't self-destruct essentially. Yes. Yes. Or quit or do something implosive, explosive, because I just don't have the, the tools, right. And, and the ability, the the physical and mental ability to like, it it was a really tough time. So uh, not to get into it, to the details, but you know, I, I totally stopped and I said, oh my God, imagine if I was also on top of everything that's hap- that's being thrown at me, also suffering through a depression, also suffering right. through anxiety or any other kind of challenge. Right. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could have gone through it. 
Absolutely. And I think that is a wonderful, I mean, really that can get chalked up into your well-being category of that one time that you had to summon mm-hmm. all of the resources and they were available yeah. to you, right? And I'm guessing there are a series of practices and ways in which you operate in the world that had allowed you to have those resources. Now, of course, mm-hmm. not everyone has the um, advantage of mental health capacity or, um, you know, I know my family comes, I have long histories of, of addiction in my family. So I had to get sober at one point. Every time I do something hard, I think, well, I've been sober for 15 years. What can I not do? <laughs> you know, and right. there's just this way in which our well-being is is not only the things we do to cultivate mental um, calm, uh, ease, um, doing work we need to do with therapists or couples therapists, uh, the things we do to um, support our uh, physical bodies in whatever way that means for us. There's also taking note of the times it was hard. And the things that were good that came from that or what we were able to accomplish. Because I think all of this really comes down to building a sense of self-efficacy. And I've realized in the work, we used to refer to as financial self-efficacy, which I think is important. But I think the other areas of 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 our net worth statement help us see that our financial self-efficacy is actually tied to having the time to think intentionally about that financial decision, having the relationships mm-hmm. that people to go to, to ask the questions of what they see in us when we are approaching this question, you know, et cetera, uh, the well-being and the, 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 the mental stability to be able to sit in the discomfort of not knowing and not make a rash decision or to work through it or whatever, whatever it looks like in that moment. And I like seeing where we are right now with the conversation has shifted the public discourse of really respecting and and recognizing therapy as important and a real investment. Um, And I just wish, you know, healthcare would be more, uh, (laughs) would reimburse you more. I mean, the number of times I get, you know, the therapy is like, well, this is, you know, we don't work with insurance. It's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I know it's, it's hard. I I mean, I remember the days when I was paid $20 for a copay for therapy and I was going like three days a week at that time. Cause I was hard, a hard moment in my life. And now it's, you know, all out of pocket. And I'm great. So grateful to have the capacity to be able to pay for that, but um, it'll be interesting to see the ways alternative means of providing a therapeutic space um, become available over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, um, some of the advice I give people on people's financial planning to-do list is go get a therapist, go get a couples therapist. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not. And then, you know, as you, as you know, financial advisors are now also coupling their degrees with therapy, with uh, psychology so they can be therapists. All right. Before you go, let's also touch on this idea of relationships mm. and the importance of that as we, you know, um, I was having lunch with a friend the other day and, and we were talking about, have you been going out? Like, do you, uh, you know, friendships, like what's your social life now? And we're both very busy and we're both parents. And she said, you know what, right now, my friend said to me, or honestly, she said, I, I have time for work and I have time for my family. I don't have time to go out and have a brunch yeah, with girlfriends, even though I know it's important, I know I should get out there more. But I think that there's this I've heard this expression that you can only have so many burners on 
Yes. At the same time, like mm-hmm. you can have your job and your family, but maybe not your girlfriends too. You like, mm. or, you know, like, something's yeah. got to give. It, it yeah. goes against this whole having it all conversation, which we can right. drive ourselves nuts over too. Exactly. And so I think relationships can be um, a range of, of um, definitions. And I, as you've so wisely pointed out earlier in the conversation, these definitions shift over time. When you've got young kids, that's a lot. I mean, they necessarily take up a whole lot of bandwidth, right? No matter how much support you have. And so I think that makes sense. You know, I'm, I decided not to have kids. So I have more capacity for, to make relationship decisions um, or any range, you know, if once you have, you're older and maybe your kids are out of school and out of the house, your life will look very different. Right. And so for me, again, I think all these things are defined by, um, by each of us individually. I also, I like to think of it from, uh, I think you've probably seen the sort of starting out with your inner circle and then the people who are, who are less close, et cetera. And I know that I have my four or five really, really close friends. And those are the folks that even if they are MIA for a month or two, I'm going to reach out and text and just be like, hey, I love you. I think you're fantastic. Just so that they know I'm out there and I know they do the same for me. Then I have, you know, people who are friends, but they're not close, close, close friends, know all the all the secrets. <laughs> and then there's the acquaintanceship. And then there's the, um, what in my Buddhist practice we call... Um, uh, what is it? Familiar strangers or close strangers, people who like my barista, who I have like a nice relationship with. I feel very grateful for that. And then community at large. And so I think thinking about that can be very helpful to put in, you know, in those areas, is there something you're nurturing? Is there something that feels a sense of connection? Now, relationships aren't going to be you know, I'm an introvert, extrovert, I guess. I don't know what the hell you call me after the pandemic, but I like people and I also want to be alone. (laughs) So my relationship with myself is also super important. Like I have time on every Saturday that is my time. My partner knows to get out of the house and I just need to be alone. And it's the best. I love it. (laughs) So I think that's another kind of relationship to honor. There's so much more we can say on this topic. And I really appreciate this holistic take that you take on personal finance and the thinking about wealth. I think as we march through the year and so much we have to tackle as a country, in our economy, in our personal economies, we look forward to having you back and revisiting some of this and all such important reminders, Georgia. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's always such a pleasure to go deep into the meaning of money together. Learn more about Georgia at modernistfinancial.com. Remember, if you want to leave a review for me, for this show, it's the best way to support So Money. You can do that on wherever you listen to this podcast, but especially if you leave it on the Apple's podcast player, that really helps our rankings, gets more people to find us, gets more people to subscribe. And every Friday, I pick a reviewer of the week to get a free 15-minute money session with me. And PPS... We're now airing our Friday episodes on YouTube. So you can watch me and all my hand gestures answer your money questions on YouTube. It's the same audio as you get on the podcast. He figured, hey, let's let's share the love. I'll see you back here on Friday. And I hope your day is so money. Money.